0: Before you figure out what you want out of your business is figuring out what you want out of your life. It's a really tough thing to do sometimes because it's like we're skipping a step. So what I would encourage people to do is instead of doing it the way you think you should do it, do it backwards. Dream first. So once people start getting really clear about what they want out of their life, it's kind of like Stephen Covey's philosophy of thinking with the end in mind. Beginning with the end in mind, like get really clear about what you want out of life and then let's back into that and say, okay, how can I use my business as the conduit to produce the money to get
1: those things? So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business? Grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Travis Simon. Travis is the owner and founder of Copper Wire Consulting. He provides sales coaching and business consulting services for multi-line insurance agencies across the country. Travis and I had the pleasure of meeting seven or eight years ago. And in today's podcast, we talk about the why behind the what, something that's come up on this podcast before. We talk about how do you get unstuck when you feel stuck in your business? how to actually really go from being complex and creating complex systems and processes to really simple systems and processes. And what's the difference between those who accomplish the things that they want to accomplish in their business and those who don't? And then finally, what are the actual things that you need to measure? I'm looking forward to introducing you all to Mr. Travis Simon. Without further ado, let's get into it. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their teams dialed in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating AB split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the DirectClicks team at DirectClicksInc.com. That's DirectClicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, We have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Travis, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. It's good to be here. Travis, we always start with background and origin story. And so you and I talked about this previously, but tell people that may not know you a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today.
0: I was fortunate to get recruited for an internship when I was in my junior year in college, I went and did an internship with a Northwestern Mutual. And after a brief internship, I was there for almost eight years and built a really a financial planning practice from scratch. I got called by a headhunter, I believe it was in July of 2006, and told me he had an opportunity that one of my colleagues had referred him to me. And I said, well, hey, yeah, sure, I'll listen. And he told me about an opportunity that What I viewed it as was a way to do away with some of the things that I, quite frankly, wasn't as good at in the business and to teach other people the business of financial services. And that opportunity happened to be with State Farm. Anyways, he said, well, here's what I need you to do. I need you to put a resume together. I kind of slow walked it because, I mean, I liked what I was doing. And he stayed on top of me and I got an interview with a lady named Cindy Rowland. And Cindy Rowland pitched me on this opportunity. And I mean, we really, really clicked. And then a couple weeks later, she made me a job offer and I turned her down. I said, Well, I think she was asking why. And I said, Well, you may have made a mistake, but you told me what the salary range of the job was. And then you put me on the bottom end of it. And you said, I was, you know, that you'd been looking for me for 18 months. I said, I kind of felt bad. And I said, And two, I've got a lot of flexibility and autonomy with my job and I like doing what I'm doing. So, anyways, We did a little negotiating and she gave me about a month and a half to shut down my business and transfer my clients and things of that nature. And so I went to work with State Farm Corporate. I was there for about 10 years. I had various roles. My first role was I did a training role where I trained every agent that came through a three state region through Tennessee, Kentucky and Ohio. I did that for two years and I was also really available to the field offices when they had those at large to do financial services training, anywhere from investments, annuities, life insurance, disability insurance, those things. Those are my areas of expertise. I got tapped on the shoulder by uh, a couple of gentlemen. One of them was a retiring vice president of agency. Another one was my mentor to run a group of agency development programs got me completely out of my comfort zone. I did that for three years. One of the best professional experiences of my life. I uh, developed some of the best relationships I still have to this day. In fact, a lot of the people that were in those workshops and helped me coach are clients of mine, and they have been since I started my business. After that, I spent the last five years, I was a field sales associate. I helped, and that's where I met you, Bradley, through helping people out with big case work, more complex things, whether it was business life insurance, personal life insurance, estate planning, retirement planning, accumulation and distribution. And that's really where a lot of my expertise lies. So I believe it was in September of 2016 we were all asked to be on a mandatory conference call and they told us that we were being sunset, which was another way of saying that all you guys, all you guys are getting fired. So but it was really nice, you know, and they gave us some lead time. I had to mourn it a little bit. I mean, I'd been here for 10 years and I loved sure. the place. And listen, if they wouldn't have let me go, I'd probably still be there and still be happy as a peach, man. And so anyways, I had an opportunity to start a business I was encouraged to by some of my peers, but one of the things that I was really encouraged by is that four years earlier, I'd gone public with something in a master class, in a mastermind group that a friend of mine was starting up, and there was five people all around the country, and two of the things that I put down this list, as I said, I want to start my own consulting practice, and I want to be a best-selling author. So I got one check mark. I haven't gotten the other one yet. In fact, I haven't Soon even to figured come. it out, but it's out there, right? It's out there. And so I took a little bit of a leap and I got a push that was a push that I needed. I started a little consulting practice in January after my time with State Farm was done at corporate. And by March, I was blessed with a full client list. I started up a weekly sales webinar that I did a subscription service to, to take some of what I knew and to help other people have a bigger impact on others. I mean, it's been four and a half years ago and it's been a blessing.
1: Well, you are one of the best coaches consultants out there. You've been blessed with uh, just a gift to be able to relate to insurance agency owners, but also your knowledge and competency and then the ability to be able to communicate that is second to none. So it's easy to see why you've been so successful. I have to say you're probably more a fan of sunrises now than sunsets, I would say, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I have to ask you, I was wanted to ask this as I was preparing for the podcast. Where did the name Copper Wire Consulting come from? So I'm gonna go ahead
0: and say that I'm going to do my best to keep my composure while I tell this story. So My parents, they're fantastic human beings. They were the people that generationally that broke away from a lifestyle that they didn't want to have anymore. And so you hear about these. Okay, I'll tell a joke and I'll get out of this. So you hear about those towns out there that don't have any red lights. Well, you (laughs) know, has one red light. Well, both of my parents' hometowns together didn't have one red light between them. Okay, they had some stop signs, but that was about it. And so my dad had this experience when he was about 12 years old. He was doing the chores on the farm before he went to school. And his dad was a carpenter and he went around the chicken coop and he saw his dad throwing up this just unearthly substance. And he watched his dad go to work that day because he knew if he didn't go to work, they wouldn't eat the next week. And he decided at a very early age that he wasn't going to live like that forever. And so when he got out of high school, he went into the Marine Corps. He served in the Marine Corps for two years. He got out and he started at the very bottom working in the construction industry and, you know, worked himself all the way up to from uh, supervisory jobs to foreman to superintendents to project managers. I'll say this is my claim to fame. If you're out in the uh, Southern California area, any county touching L.A. County, if you walk into a Target store, my dad probably built it.
1: Wow, that's cool.
0: He built Best Buy's, he built medical facilities and had a good career in construction industry. Neither one of my parents had college degrees. He met my mom at a add-on to a clinic that she was, a medical clinic that she was working at. They saw each other for about three months and then they got married shortly thereafter. And they've been married for, gosh, so... I guess it's coming up on close to 50 years now. So anyways, I say that he took a job with Dayton Hudson building Target stores and we were out in California. We lived in an Airstream trailer until I was four. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, I was taken home from the hospital in an Airstream trailer. I was born in Rome, Georgia.
1: Georgia right.
0: <laughs> and so we're out in California and my dad would go out to this little detached garage we had. And I went out there one night, I was after dinner one night, and I said, mom, you know, what's dad doing? And uh, she said, well, why don't you go see? She knew exactly what he was doing. So I went out there and he's got this big bucket of this wire. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, son, I'm buying your next baseball glove. And I was like, well, how does that work? And he said, well, I've got to strip the plastic off of this wire. I'll throw it in this bin. When I get enough of it, I'll take it and somebody will pay me for this. And I asked him that night, I said, hey, if I help, can we get the glove quicker? And he said, I bet we could. And so to this day, I'll go to my parents' house and I will see a receipt for some type of scrap metal or wire that he has recycled. And listen, my parents, they've been so good with money and he doesn't need to do those things, but the copper wire represents so much to me. It represents hard work. It represents wanting more for your family. It represents doing a really small thing that can get an extraordinary result. And so probably a longer answer than what you were bargaining for, but that's why it's called Copper Wire Consulting. I might as well have named it, uh, excuse me, My Dad's My Hero.
1: So I love it. I love it. I think that's awesome. My dad is a small business owner. He's a farmer. He was a teacher for 28 years, taught agriculture and FFA at my high school for 28 years. And he would come home and I always say he would change from his duck head pants or his Dockers, duckheads or Dockers, into his literal overalls and go to work. And so I totally agree. I love that story. I think that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. The best thing sometimes to share with people is the result that you have gotten for yourself. I heard this a long time ago from these two brothers
0: named Scott and Andy Schwartz, and I went to several of their workshops when I was at Northwestern Mutual. And the one phrase that I heard him say a couple of times that I really latched onto to is that broke is a lack of cash flow, but poor is a state of mind. Mm. Have you ever heard of the story about the guy that stuck down in the well? Mm-mm. So there's a guy that gets stuck down in a well in his village. And he can't get out and he's missing for a couple of days and his village finds him and they try to rescue him. They can't. People from surrounding villages come. They're all trying to get him out of this well. And they try for days upon days upon days. They can't get him out. They essentially people go away. They leave him for dead. He's just saying, leave me for dead. And so a couple of days goes by and it's at night and he sees a flickering light and he starts feeling dirt and dust and rocks crumbling down on top of him. In a few minutes, he's face to face with the guy with the flashlight and he asked him, he's like, what are you doing? And he just said, well, I'm here to get you out of this well. And he said, well, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm trapped in this well. I can't get out. Everybody's tried. They've tried everything. And he said, no, I don't think you understand. You see, I've been down on this well before and I know how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So take my hand and follow me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just one of those things like if you've been down in a well and you know how to get out of it. I mean, we need to tell people about how we got trapped in the damn thing to begin with and let people know like that represents hope to people. Like Mm there are mistakes that we've all made that we know how to overcome. we got to be vulnerable
1: enough to admit that we've made them in the first place and get out of them. It's interesting you say that because I was just talking to somebody else about vulnerability the other day and. I would say that in the last two to three years, I've been more vulnerable, even though that has been from zero. (laughs) And the more vulnerable that I have become, the more people can relate to that. And they feel like that you understand them. And they say, well, you know, maybe my story is not the exact same thing that you've been through. But the fact that you have a story makes me realize that, okay, I'm not weird for maybe having these things in these mental roadblocks or whatever the case may be, whether it's parents or childhood or issues in my business. If you're willing to share these things, I'm more willing to share my stories too. And maybe that's a masculine thing too. I mean, I think it's guys. I mean, It's 99% of masculinity thing. Yeah. Like I'm way less open than my yeah. wife is. I mean, she's more open and shares things. Where yeah. Sometimes I'm like, Hey, don't share all that. I don't love flying on planes. Hell, I just put it on a podcast, you know, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, that's a big thing. I had a conversation on the way up here with, I listened to Scott and Steve Cannon's podcast, and I reached out. I had not talked to Scott in about a year. Yeah. And I reached out to him and told him about, he was like, Where are you going? I was telling him about the group. We have very deep relationships in this group, uh, way underneath the surface. And one of the guys that I have a really deep conversation with a couple of times a year is a guy named Scott Coon. He's an agent in Nashville. And Scott just, got on the other side of leukemia. He battled leukemia for a little over a year. Yeah. And one of the conversations we have every single year is about, you know, when you're thinking thoughts that you think you shouldn't be thinking. One of the nastiest tricks that <laughs> the devil will play on us is convincing you that, hey, nobody will understand that. You can't share that. Yeah, nobody right. else is yeah. thinking that. You'll be looked yeah. down
1: upon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And one of the things that's really just in the last couple months I have been more aware of this than I ever have been in my life. That which we fear, we attract. And so therefore, the thoughts that I would think about, like, man, I hope this doesn't happen, or I'm trying to avoid something, I ended up actually moving more that way. And it's like, you know, I'm a big golfer. And so I've got water left, I got OB right, and I'm standing up there thinking, okay, like, all right, don't hit a quick hook, don't snap hook it, don't hit it off the toe, don't hit a... Toe hook into the water. And then last thought is, all right, well, don't Don't block it. Don't block it. it, Don't block it. Don't block it. it, You know, and then it's like (laughs) I end up hitting this shot that feels like it goes over out of bounds and into the water or whatever the case might be, you know. But I mean, I think that that's so true is because we begin to dig these ruts in our brain towards the things as opposed to what are the actual things that I want to have accomplished. You know what I mean? And so What are the things I want in my business to accomplish? Can you just speak to that for just a second? Because, I mean, there's an abstractness to sometimes as business owners, the way that we won't articulate clearly and succinctly what it is that we want out of our business.
0: So my thoughts on this are that before you figure out what you want out of your business is figuring out what you want out of your life. It's a really tough thing to do sometimes because it's like we're skipping a step. So what I would encourage people to do is instead of doing it the way you think you should do it, do it backwards. Dream first. So, for example, get really clear about what kind of lifestyle do I want to have? Okay, some of the stuff can be superficial, like what kind of house do I want to live in? What kind of trips do I want to go on? What kind of cars do I want to drive? What kind of schools do I want my kids to go to? What kind of experience do I want them to have? I mean, even go as deep as things like what kind of impact do I want to make on my community? Where do I want to see the people that I employ be down the road, whether that be with me or whether that be in a completely different career? When I think about those things, that's the stuff that I get excited about. Like when I think about the things that I want for my kids, I mean, I want them to be productive adults. I want them to be good kids and that stuff comes first, but I want them to be productive adults. My dream for them would to be without entitlement, for them to stand on their own two feet, for them to have good, healthy, productive relationships. I want them to have good experiences. Like I want them to be able to experience things that maybe I didn't in childhood, but it's not so much about the money. Now, the money helps get those experiences, but I want them to experience a lot of other things so they can figure out what they want to do with their lives because we got to ultimately pass this forward. So once people start getting really clear about what they want out of their life, it's kind of like Stephen Covey's philosophy of thinking with the end in mind, beginning with the end in mind, like get really clear about what you want out of life. And then let's back into that and say, okay, how can I use my business as the conduit to produce the money to get those things because all those things I just mentioned, I can quantify those things. I can quantify the trip that I just took to Park City to let my kids go ski on big mountains out west. Now, the other part of that is, and I can recreate the looks on their faces in my mind, the smile, the excitement, all of those things, the wonder at looking at, you know, looking at the Wasatch mountain range and all of those things like, I've got that forever now, but I can quantify that trip. I can quantify what it's going to take to pay for the house that I want. I can quantify the farm that my wife and I want to build. And so I can figure out how much money that's going to take. And then from that, we can reverse engineer it and say, okay, where am I right now? And how many things is it going to take for me to get to that goal? Knowing that it's probably irresponsible to think that it's going to happen overnight. So listen, how many cars do I need to sell? How many policies do I need to grow in a multi-line insurance agency? How much life insurance do I need to place? How much do I need to grow my premium book to have this type of steady cash flow so I don't have the everyday stressors of money? What levers do I need to pull to get my bonus levels to the place where I can be free enough to go and do those things that I want to do? And then I can figure out the tactical strategies. Yeah. So So like I spend so much of my professional life ingraining processes and, and tactical strategies. And all of those things are important. But without the why behind them, when that crap gets hard, we'll stop and revert back to old habits. Yeah. There's got to be that why piece of why we're doing it, why we're doing it in the
1: first place. Yeah, it's almost like you're saying you have to be able to get clear of the why behind the what. So yes. what do you want out of your life? Use your business as the conduit to achieve that. But you got to have an understanding of the why. I mean, listen, somebody listened to this has heard this before. We're not the first person to say this.
0: No, it's definitely not original thought. In fact, I heard you say it on a podcast that I was listening to that you did before that it was talking about, like, I think it was creating a better business plan, but you were talking about, and I don't think it's in this exact order, but when I think about it, I think about the what is what I want, the why behind what I want, but let's skip and then what's in it for me. Sure. Okay, for me, my family, my company, my team, my community. I mean, go as deep as you want to and then let's figure out the how. Exactly. Yep. Because that's the part that you can make it. But what do we do as human beings? We go to the how without thinking about what we want. And this is a lesson that I learned about 10 years ago from one of my dear friends. We were in a workshop of a program that I was running corporately when I was working in the corporate world with the farm. And so we had in between workshops at the beginning of every workshop, we would have this segment on insights and ahas. And so one of the ahas that he came back from, from one of the workshops is he said, you know, I've just realized that I've been going about this all wrong. He said, what I've been doing in my life is I've been going out and I've been making money and I've been setting my lifestyle in accordance to how much money I made. Mm. Okay. Mm. And so I heard another person say today, don't let your budget restrict your vision.
1: Yeah, that's so true.
0: And so what he figured out between workshops is he said, what I've done between these two workshops is I've figured out about what I want, the lifestyle that I want. Yeah, The things that I want to do, the stuff I want to accomplish. And I know that's going to be different five years from now than it is today. But what I got clear on is how much do I need to do? What do I need to do in my business to make that happen? And when he got clear about that, man, that guy's life changed. And it changed my life, too, because I got to be a part of it.
1: So what do you recommend to somebody that's listened to this and has heard it, but has never actually taken the time to take some sort of a notebook, gone and done some thinking time, spent a Saturday, a Friday afternoon, they've gotten out of their office to go do that. What do you actually recommend them to do in that period of time? Part one. Okay. Part two, what do they need to do after they've done this thinking audit? And basically they've began to lay out what they want out of their life and why they want that. Now, what should they do at that point?
0: I think one of the simplest things that you can do. And so my wife and I did this, I believe it was close to seven years ago. One of the most fruitful things that you can do today in pursuit of this is I've got this list and I keep it electronically, but I also keep a copy of it in my wallet and I add on to it. It's just too easy to keep up with electronic now. And it's called our moments of us list. And so what we did is and we go through this at least a couple of times a year. We have got this list and I can send this to you later if you want me to. But this list that I'm going to scroll through on the screen Mm. This all the stuff that we said that we want to do, places we mm. want to go, experiences we want to have. And so one thing that you probably can't see on here because they're gray is that over half of these things have check marks next to them. Mm. And so what we do every year, a couple times a year, we go down here, and we get really excited about this. And some of this stuff is big. Some of this stuff is small. Like some of these are like lifetime type trips, but there's little silly stuff in here, like we wanted to eat egg rolls in Chinatown, in New York. Yeah. So we wanted to have a Chicago style hot dog in downtown Chicago, love we, you know, we wanted to go see Wicked on Broadway. And then we put yeah. on the list that we wanted to go see Hamilton on Broadway. And the first time we went, so we got engaged in New York and when we were there, like Hamilton tickets were like two grand a piece. But we said, well, we're not paying two thousand dollars a ticket, but we still want to do it. Well, a year and a half later, we went back and we got tickets for significantly less than that. We did it. But if that wouldn't have gone on the list, it probably wouldn't have happened. And so you can segment this list by experiences. You can segment these things by like lifestyle items. As far as the place that you want to live, the things that you want to have. So we've got a different list of a vision of things that we want for our forever home. We're really clear about the different things that we want on that. But that stuff is not going to become a reality unless we start to put those things down. But I would start a list of like, we love to travel. We love experiences. And so a list of experiences, start writing down a list of things that you want in your life. Some of them can be monetary. That's fine. Okay. start a list of other crazy stuff like money that you want to give away. If you want to start a different business, if you want to, whatever it is, just if you can dream it, that's the first part of it. So I guess my message getting a little scattered here, but, you know, dream first and then take the first step. So the part that we get excited about is looking at this list every year and saying, okay, what can we
1: knock out this year? I love that. You call it the moments of us. Yeah. I love that. I think that's great. I really do. But I think one of the key things that you've done is that you've dreamed, yes, but you've dreamed on paper. Now, that happens to be in a digital format that allows you to kind of check it off. But at some point, that's got to make it kind of out of your head. I think Michael Hyatt is famous for saying thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass over pencil tips. So from lips to pencil tips, I believe is the exact way he says it. But anyway, the point is, is that you've actually captured it into a format that you begin to, not only the cross off the ones, but then you can begin to look at and say, wow, that was a really good memory. Like even the ones that you probably just went over right there, it brought back initially a moment of you guys experiencing that. I think that's really fantastic. And then again, going back to you or have used copper wire Consulting as the conduit to make those things happen. That's right. Like one of the things that I like, this is
0: one of my secret guilty little pleasures is that... I get to play that role to help other people go through that process. Like you cannot give away something that you do not possess. And so if you won't do it for yourself, you can't expect anybody else to do it either. It's kind of like, you know, I I wrote down a couple of notes for this. I was just thinking about, you know, just like little things. And this doesn't have to do with even with this process, but like, you know, if you want to sell permanent life insurance, you need to be proud of your own permanent life insurance plan. If you expect other people to have just simple stuff like high liability limits, well, it would be a really good thing to have high liability limits and know why you have the amount that you have and be able to articulate that and explain that to somebody else. I've got to share just one more thing with you. move on. This gives me chills because there is a, uh, so my wife, she's a multi-line agent. She qualified for a really nice trip that hopefully we get to go on this next year. And so one of the locations is in Spain. And so there's a link on my list that I'm looking at right now that it's a link that when she qualified for that trip, I went to this list and I clicked on that link because it was a place in Spain. And I said, you're not going to believe this. It's one of the two hotels that we might be staying at.
1: Oh, wow.
0: (laughs) Wow. But then she was like, what else is on the list there? So like one of the goofy things on our list is we want to go pick oranges in Spain. So, I mean, again, it's just one of those things the universe has a way of conspiring for you as well. But like you said, going from what did you say, the Michael Hyatt thing, putting it on paper, putting to, it on
1: paper. Yeah.
0: yeah. There's just some magical things that can really happen with that.
1: Do you know Ed Slot? Yeah. So by the time this podcast releases, Ed's podcast has probably came out. And in that podcast, when I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, he said, Uh, there's a law and I can't remember that it might've just been a law, but he says, those who own the most sell the most. So I just had to go back to make that comment about you're talking about liability limits or permanent life insurance. Those who own the most sell the most. And so just to go along with what you were saying there.
0: All right. So
1: I've heard you talk about, and I related to it. And I think a lot of people listening to this can relate to the concept of just being paralyzed by perfectionism. And I've heard you say that you were a recovering perfectionist, right? Yes. Hello. I'm and, Travis. I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. <laughs> hey, same thing here, right? <laughs> okay. Let's just focus this conversation mostly on business actions, things where somebody knows the culture in their office is not where it needs to be. The production is not where it needs to be, but they get in this place of being paralyzed and they think, well, I have so many things to fix that I don't know what to do. And they don't really begin to try to unpack that. And again, it may be a culture issue. It might be just lack of sales in a particular line of business. It could be recruiting. My goodness, they may be short a customer care person, two salespeople, whatever it may be. And what happens is that the business owner will find themselves not for a day, but for weeks into months before they actually begin to try to take some action. And so for somebody listening to this that may be paralyzed in whatever it is in their business, how can they get out of that mindset of trying to be perfect and actually just begin to take some sort of action and steps to unpack whatever it is, the problem that they're facing? One of the things that I'm going to
0: say that I don't expect anybody that's in that place to believe just yet, and this is something that I personally struggle with, is that imperfect action will be perfect inaction almost any day of the week. I mean, there's a time to do nothing, but if you're in a place that you don't want to be in, one of the things that I would encourage you to do, and you can brainstorm this with your team, you can brainstorm this with your spouse, but almost think about going back to the beginning or just knowing what you know now and say, hey, if I could have everything that I wanted to out of my business, what does it look like? So in other words, how many team members would I have? What would they be doing? Like, what would their optimal roles be? What would our production look like versus what it is today? Would we be more process-oriented or less process-oriented? Think about the different facets of it and then think about what is the one thing? And then you can start listing out actions from that, but what's the one thing that if you boil it down to one or two things that you could take immediate action on that would start to make it better? So for example, if you're just treading water because you can't keep up with the day-to-day things, and that's probably prohibits you from growing the best action that you could more than likely take is to put out a job posting, take the step to do that and start getting a flurry of candidates. When it comes to hiring people, I think most people would agree with, if I've got a bigger pool to pick from, I'm going to make a better decision than if I just go and look for that one person, you know, have a good process involved there, which I know that like, there's all kinds of experts on that. And I know some people from previous podcasts have laid out really good ways of hiring process, but maybe it's hiring somebody. Maybe it's, it's, uh it's, it's bringing your team together and say, listen, if you could create the perfect role for you that did away with some of the things that you feel like you're not very good at, but added some things you feel like that you were good at, like write the description of your own job and then figure if it fits into that, to your strategy. There may be somebody on your team right now that loves doing something that two other people hate doing. Well, what would, if I said that, what would be the most logical thing to do? Make them the point person, right? Right. But think about how you want it to be. And then here's the big struggle that people get into, especially people that are achievers. And so I fall into this trap, too. I heard a sports psychologist that came to a meeting I was at several years ago. They described this and asked if it described anybody in the room. They say, okay, so the first part of figuring out where you want to go is you got to set a baseline of where you are right now. You've got to get really clear and honest with yourself about this is where I am right now, and then I can determine where I want to go. It's like if you're taking on a trip, if you're taking a trip, you're not going to put in some obscure location that you might be. It's like, hey, current location, and then I want to go here. Between where I am now and the goal, what achievers will do is that they will judge anywhere in between where they are now in the destination. You know what that space in between, what they call it, hmm. failure. And that's a very unhealthy way to think about goals. So what she was talking about, the sports psychologist was talking about, is we've got to celebrate the progress along the way. That's one of the ways that we can build a winning culture is celebrate the wins along the way. And listen, it doesn't necessarily mean what the wins are. If we can start beating our average. So one of the things she gave an example of is world-class golfers. If they can shave a stroke off of their average. That's enormous. Now, if you want to take an eighteen handicapper to a twelve handicapper, I mean, I'm not saying that that's easy, but it's a lot easier to cut six strokes off your game going, oh, it from, is, you know, from eighteen to a twelve than it is from going no, to, right a, to a plus two to a plus three. I mean, it's just that yeah, totally. And so they sit down and they evaluate, OK, so what are the parts of your game that you can pick up strokes on while also managing and still maintaining the things that you're really, really good at? Well, if I go my PGA season and I cut off a half a stroke, achievers will convince themselves that that's failure. To me, that's victory.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And the higher you go, the harder it actually gets to take those steps. I mean, to go from wherever you are, those last you know, if you've ever watched any documentaries on Mount Everest and climbing that last thousand feet, you begin to get into the death zone the higher that you go. But I think one of the things I would just want to point out to people listening to this, because I say something very similar. You have seen this in particular working with so many agents for as long as that you have, is that you are both saying it is important to articulate the destination. Where do you want to go? Point B. But it is equally if not more important, to be able to be honest. We almost kind of started this conversation talking about vulnerability and saying, where is point A? Where am I today? And that seems so obvious when you're plugging something in Google Maps. You just hit current location. But boy, in business, sometimes it's actually hard to be able to say, well, this is kind of where I'm starting from. So it's got to be both like you got to be honest with both point B and point A. Don't you agree? I 100 percent agree. I teed this question up or the original question up to kind of get to this point. I can think back six, seven years ago where I would be paralyzed. I got to do something. I got to fix something, some problem. And I'd sit back in my little hole in my office, right? And I'd come out six hours later with the most (laughs) elaborate 75 page, beautifully color coded business plan that I thought was so simple. So simple, so obvious to me, right? You go roll that thing out and your team, (laughs) you get these stairs. So this is really a question around simplicity. So at the surface, somebody says, oh, don't have complexity, be simple. But a lot of the times, simplicity is hard for us to spot because in our minds, it is so simple, but to the teams, and when we're trying to communicate this to them, it's so complex. So can you just help us through the nuance of creating some systems or processes that truly are simple to understand versus complexity? One of the things that I
0: would say is critical is not having, okay, if you've got a 75-page business plan, hopefully most of that is laced with tactical strategies. So I'll give you an example of, it reminded me of something. One of the agents that I coach, they've got an aspirant in their office that is interviewing for an agency coming up really, really soon. In fact, I think it may be this week. And she was given a comment by somebody that was going to be interviewing that, this is the best business plan that they'd ever seen. And it was about a half inch thick, 78 pages or something like that. And I said, I bet it's everything that they said. I don't have time to read through it today, but there's one thing that I would encourage you to do is I would have a front and back executive summary because again, all the tactical stuff, if they can't see the vision And a little bit of the why behind it, but like on your executive summary, I want you to have your mission and your vision, but then really boil it down to the main thing. So, for example, for that person in their plan, I would say with anybody's plan, it's, hey, are there pens, plaques and awards you want to win? Nothing wrong with that. I mean, because those are benchmarks that you can measure yourself by. So if you have, for example, like a company travel goal, put it out there. And the requirements for it. If you've got a level of life insurance that you want to sell, put that number out there and then it's going to take this much of monthly premium to get us to that goal. If people get bug eyed and say, oh, my gosh, we've never done that before. Well, it may be a thing that you've never measured it before. And so Maybe you're right there with a few tweaks. You get them over the edge, but hey, this is what we have to do on a monthly basis. Now, don't get worried about it. We're going to talk about the strategies to get there. It's not, I'm just going to throw these out here, but these are the goals, you know, life insurance. If we want to grow a certain amount of policies or grow our premium in our agency by a certain level, let's lay that out, but lay out where we are now, where we need to go, what we need to do on a monthly basis based on the amount of business that lapses, so on and so forth. But there's any of the metrics that drive the risk revenue and the financial engine of your business, have goals for those things. So for example, there are five or six things that I religiously track with the people that I consult to. We track monthly life premium. We track monthly health premium. We track monthly PNC premium. And we track policy enforced gain on auto and policy enforced gain on fire. And then anything else that they want to track, we'll do that too. And then on the activity side, And I think this needs to be in the executive summary, too, is, listen, I'm not going to manage phone calls if quotes are in line. If quotes aren't in line, we'll manage phone calls. And then on the financial services side, I think the biggest thing to manage either appointments set or appointments capped. But those are some things to keep it simple. So if you're tracking those main metrics, and then to boil it down to the number one thing, I feel like the number one thing to simplify is everybody have a activity metric to where they can win in a day Hmm. because you're not going to make a sale every day. So everybody needs to have daily goals. If you can boil it down to, hey, if I know I need to do six quotes a day and set two appointments a day, if I have the worst day from a customer facing standpoint, I make zero sales. I can chalk it up and check two boxes and said, ah, but it's coming. The good is coming because I had my quotes. I had my appointment set. So they may have told me no today, but they're not going to tell me no tomorrow. And just trust in that process. Because if we're not doing the things that are required to get where we want to go, that's just the basic work. The analogy that I've been using here recently is just a basketball analogy. It's like, hey, pick your favorite basketball team. So for you, it's Auburn. If I'm coming into your house and I want to beat Auburn, I want to know a couple of things. I want to know how many points they score a game on average. And then I want to be realistic about, so let's say my team, and I know this is probably an unrealistic basketball statistic, but let's say Auburn scores 80 points a game on average, and my team shoots 50% from the field. And let's take three-pointers out of the mix for just a second. But I know if I shoot 50% from the field, I'm going to need to shoot the ball at least 80 times, right, to give myself a chance to beat you guys, What we're doing so many times is we're going to that game knowing we need to shoot 80 times and we're only shooting the ball 60 times and just expecting to be better than the next person or hope the other person has a bad day. Mm -hmm. So essentially, to go back to your original question, you know, boiling it down to having an executive summary. Here are the things that are important for us. And then boiling it down to the daily goals of what do I need to do every day to make that big goal happen? Because it's hard to keep annual goals in mind.
1: Yeah, it really is. It ends up becoming, even for the business owner, really too long of a stretch. And it's really hard for the teams to be able to keep an annual number in their head because just so many things happen. I mean, yeah, the years fly by, but from the beginning of January to the end, it's really hard to keep them going because there's just so much happens throughout the year. I was looking up the Einstein quote because I couldn't remember who said it, but Einstein said, if you can't explain it, Simply, you don't understand it well enough. And that's the whole point, right? If it took you 75 pages to be able to articulate what it is in your business plan. Now, there's a, you know, if you're looking to get a business started and you got to go to the bank or you got to go to a company, then, yeah, you probably have to present a 75 page business plan to get their attention. But what is actually going to work in your business is not a 75 page business plan. We can agree upon that. Can you rattle off real quick the things that you said, hey, if I was working with someone, these are the non-negotiables. These are always the things that we're going to measure. What are those things again? Okay. So it's monthly life
0: premium. We're going to have a goal for a monthly life premium that is all based around your end and goal mind. So if somebody wants to write $100,000 a life premium, we'll look at what they started with. Then we'll measure that with their progress every month and then make adjustments. But we'll measure monthly life premium. Monthly health premium, but that's the side of the business that you're engaged in. We'll measure monthly P and C premium. So that's six month auto, annual fire. And listen, this is something that's new within the last 18 months that I've really pushed because that's a number that just simply by measuring it, I see it go up. Because one thing that people on your team want, they want direction and they want something to chase. And I think the easiest thing that I'll take a step back on, one of the easiest things to do on that is look at your production throughout last year and see what your average was. And then just try to uptick it a little bit and say, hey, here's what we're going to chase. And that's another way you can put in incentive plans for reaching higher levels. So anyways, I digress. Monthly life premium, monthly health premium, monthly PNC premium, policy and force gain, on auto policy and force gain on fire, most of the agencies that I work with in the state farm world, they're on a contract where that is a paramount piece of their ongoing compensation from year to year. You don't pay attention to it and that gets out of hand. I mean, that can be a huge financial hindrance. So, but those things and those things are going to ultimately lead to financial success. And of course, with measuring those things on a monthly basis, you can make adjustments if you get behind or if you get ahead.
1: So to kind of tie back, to close this loop on what we were talking about, this point A, point B, of setting those monthly targets and all of those items that you just said, you have to know where you're starting from. Because if you set a target and you just pull it out of your head and say, I don't know, how's this number? And it's 80% of what you're already doing. I mean, you're not going to go anywhere. In that case, you'd actually go backwards. So knowing where you're starting from and then knowing where you want to be, critically important. So thank you for sharing that. One of the last questions I wanted to ask you, Travis, and then we'll go into E9 Rapid Fire, is you have worked with, I mean, at this point, hundreds, if not thousands of insurance agency owners over your career. And you have worked with, and I'm sure you're working with now, the top 1% of 1%. I mean, you have seen the best of the best. You've worked with some that have been at the top of their game and then maybe they've fallen backwards, or you work with some people that are just starting out. I mean, you've basically kind of going all the way through. What is the biggest one or two things? Leave us with something that you have seen as the biggest difference between those that are successful. And what I mean is success, not in other people's eyes, but in their eyes, the difference between what it is that they want to accomplish and the ones who are saying, this is what I want to accomplish. And they're actually getting it done. They're actually doing it. What are the things that you've seen that separate those two groups of people?
0: I would say one of the things is that I'll reference a quote here. There's a quote that says, and it's by a philosopher. I don't think it was Socrates. I think it was maybe Goethe. And he said, never let the things that matter the most be at the mercy of the things that matter the least. Mm -hmm. And so they keep the important things, the important things. A big thing that they do as well is that most of the people that I see achieving and consistently accomplishing things and being able to do it over and over and over again. They develop a culture of winning. Culture is a really big thing. And I would say too, the people that do things really well, they don't necessarily manage people, they manage processes. And so by that, they're not micromanaging their teams, you know, everyday thing, but they've got to be team builders because this thing is, I mean, business is just too hard to do everything, to do everything on your own. Those are a couple of things. The other thing that I would say is that they keep people first in the equation. If they take care of their customers, if they take care of their people, good things will come out of that. They hold themselves to a higher standard or as high a higher standard as they expect of other people.
1: You and I talked about this when we were catching up the other day. Mike McCallowitz, really, a lot of people have read his books. He came on the podcast, Profit First. But I saw something the other day, somebody put people first, then profits. And it's like, I mean, his concept of financial engineering is right. But what you're saying, look, it's got to be all about your people first, and then your profits can come after that. So I totally agree with that.
0: It's kind of like you never do a, somebody has told me in the past, You'll never make a good decision doing business with a bad person, and you'll never make a bad decision doing business with a good person. Hmm. And we could debate that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems pretty basic.
1: All right. You ready for the world famous E9 rapid fire? I'm going to have to be. I've bit nervous about this part, Bradley. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you may have listened to some podcasts. I may spring <laughs> some surprises on you. Okay. That's right. All right, go. All right, Let's okay. go. We both share a love for books. So what is the last book that you read? Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Yeah, That's a good one. You ought to listen to the Audible book. Kid. It's really good because they do these in between things. It's pretty really it,
0: cool. It's better than it. In fact, that was the
1: last book I read. It was the third time I read it. It's fantastic. Yeah, he's got a great story. I would love to have him on the podcast. If anybody knows David Goggins, help get him on the podcast. Okay. What is the one book? You only can say one. What is the one book that you would recommend the most to insurance agency owners?
0: I would say the one that I've read most recently that I would recommend to like Wildfire is Jeb Blunt's book, Fanatical Prospecting. It really deals with what I call the non-glamorous side of sales. Absolutely fantastic. Your
1: favorite non-native app on your phone?
0: I'd probably say eBay. That's so boring.
1: eBay, is that still around? Yeah. <laughs> still do eBay? I thought everybody sold everything on Facebook Marketplace now. Yeah, I've got to retract that. It's Spotify. Okay, Spotify. Yeah, yeah Spotify's Spotify. great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. We're starting to open up. We talked about travel. And so we're starting to open up. You're going to be able to hop on a plane and you got an 8, 10-hour flight. You get to sit next to anybody in the world, anybody, dead or alive, on this flight. Who would you sit next to? That's easy. My wife, Amanda Simon. She's going to listen to this podcast and be very proud of you. Yeah, I'd rather be with nobody else. All right, so you have traveled. What is the one place that you have not visited that you would love to visit? Wow, I would have to say Africa. Mm-hmm. I've not been
0: to Africa. We would like to go on a safari in Africa. That's one of our lifetime achievement trips that we have not yet taken.
1: All right, when you're not working, what's the thing that you love to do the most? We know you love your family, can't say spending time with family. So what's a hobby that Travis Simon loves to do?
0: I would say my newest hobby is archery. I got into shooting archery and it is calming to me it gives me focus it gives me time to think and i can do it right in my own backyard it's absolutely fantastic i got hooked on it
1: about a year ago i really like most things outdoors so what's one thing that you learned the most about yourself during the pandemic
0: i learned a lot more about my own potential and about getting out of my own way we talked a little bit about recovering perfectionism i realized Something that I think I'd known for a while, but man, little things day to day bother me, but I'm pretty good in a crisis. Mm -hmm. And I learned that I could take imperfect action and it was the best thing that I could do. For me and the people around me and the people that I serve, the best thing to do was to do something and also be a light and hope and, and really to rally, I mean, I call my coaching community, but to rally my coaching community and everybody know that, hey, we're going to get through this together. And not only do we get through it, most people had, I mean, some of the people had their best years ever. So I learned a lot more about taking action.
1: So you started Copper Wire Consulting four and a half years ago, mm-hmm. is that right? That's right. Four and a half years ago, I had no idea this would be so hard, fill in the blank. <laughs> this would be so hard,
0: scaling my business.
1: It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast after all. What is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received?
0: You can't give something away that you do not possess. That is the best piece of leadership advice I feel like that anybody has given
1: me. Travis, this has been great. I've enjoyed the conversation. I can't believe the time has flown by as much as it has. Somebody wants to get in touch with you, find out how you are able to help them, their teams. What's the best place for and how should they get in touch with you?
0: Best place to connect with me is really the email. My email address is Travis at CopperWireConsulting.com. It's Travis at CopperWireConsulting.com. I believe my contact information is on my website too. It's www.CopperWireConsulting.com. Websites is a going through a little bit of a redesign so but there is a link down there as well at the bottom page of my uh, the first page of the website as for a contact. If you go through that, I'll get an electronic notification. If you'd like to have a conversation with me or look for a coaching relationship in the future, there's a few descriptive things out there on some of the services and things that I provide out there as well. So those are probably the two best places. I've also got social media accounts under, but they're really under, I've got Copper Wire Trav on Instagram, but then I've also, if you look up Travis L. Simon, you can connect with me on social media as well.
1: Awesome. Travis, thanks for coming on. Hope to have you again in the future.
0: Yeah, me too. I was honored. Thank you, Bradley.
1: I really enjoyed talking to Travis and we covered so many different things on that podcast. The conversation that we had about the why behind the want probably resonates with me as much as anything. And so we did talk about it there, but really, truly taking the time, step away from your office and really begin to figure out what is it that you want out of your life. And I love how he says, figure out what you want out of your life first, and then use your business as the conduit to help make that happen. It's real easy whenever you're talking to other business owners to think about tactics and strategies and best practices. And those are all great, but ultimately, those help you to be able to get a certain specific result in your business. And then that helps you to be able to get the things accomplished that you want in your life. The examples he gave about what car do you want to drive and what do you want your dream house to look like and what are the vacations and all those things are so important. And then, of course, the moments of us. And I just love that. He was able to kind of show me. Of course you were not able to see it on this podcast, but all the list of things, many of them that he and his wife and family have been able to do, I think that's something I'm definitely going to take away and go do with my family as well. Also, whenever he rattled off some of the things that you need to be tracking, I think it's important. Like if you don't know what to track, reach out to Travis and talk to him. Just have a conversation and say, hey, look, I know that I need to be tracking some things. And I know I heard you on the podcast and Here's what I'm thinking right now, and at least have Travis as a discussion partner about that and see if he's able to help you out. So reach out to him, Copper Wire Consulting. You can visit him on his website. He gave his email out. So reach out to Travis. As always, special thanks to our partners, DirectClicks Inc. I was just talking to Tim and Matt the other day, and talking about some of the results that they had gotten some from some of their specific insurance agency owners from across the country. They had used another company, they came over to DirectClicks, instantaneously started to get more inbound leads to their business. At the end of the day, if you're wanting to grow your business. You've got to be able to have an online presence and not just have an online presence, but have an online presence that you're going to show up in the search results for the keywords that you want to show up for. Because it's one thing for a business to be able to get you or another company to get you on the first page of Google. Or to be able to get you highly ranked. But what keywords are they getting you highly ranked for? What are the ones you want to be highly ranked for? For some of you, it may be homeowners. For some of you, it may be in a more metropolitan area. So for condos or renters or whatever that may be. And so making sure that you're intentional with what the keywords you're showing up for is important. Reach out to our friends at DirectClicks. Go to directclicksinc.com. Just have a conversation with their team. I think you'll be really impressed by their transparency and the time that they take with each one of their clients you know, as I'm recording this, we are just finishing up the tax deadline for 2021. And many of you may have just gone through the process not long ago, thinking about your books and your taxes, and you may have gotten a big surprise. You may have, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was going to owe that amount in taxes, or I didn't even know what my profitability was until once a year. What doesn't have to be that way. You can actually use financial results that you get on a monthly consistent basis to be able to use that to make better decisions in your business. Make sure you go to club.capital, book your no-obligation demo and see what Club Capital can do for you. Be able to help make your back office much less of a backstage thing, maybe as the strategic advantage that you need in your business. Visit club.capital today for your free no-obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Travis, thanks for coming on. And thank you all for listening to the podcast. Until next episode, lead well.